Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Once again, welcome everybody. We are in the last week of a series that we've been in for a little while now that we are calling Becoming the Church. This is a series that's been designed as we sort of are emerging back into life together a bit more. It's a series designed to call us back to something ancient and timeless and steadfast, our identity as God's church. So we're looking at the first part of the book of Acts throughout this series, and we're talking about the marks that we see and experience in the early church as they gather together. Now, this series is taking us on an intentional arc, okay? So we're starting this first part of Acts and we're talking about some of these marks on the the church and returning to a core identity as church. And then next we'll go through and deep dive into a separate series on prayer because that is definitely a mark of the early church and that's something that we want to grow in in uh, in our prophetic identity as people of prayer. And then we'll go into the second half of the book of Acts as we get into the fall. So it's an intentional arc to really call us back to this timeless ancient identity. We're studying the book of Acts in in its process of this, but this isn't about just knowledge or um, interesting observations or a Bible study. We go through these arcs really intentionally with the worship team and teaching teams together because we believe in the spiritual formation that happens as we dive into the Word of God. I started to form this series recently in a class I was taking with Dr. Nijay Gupta, and he asked this question that was really compelling to me uh, for a project that we were doing. He said, what is Scripture's vision for this beautiful, weird thing called church? The world sees hurt and division and judgment often when they look at the church. But we see scripture showing that church has the ability to bring healing and restoration and power of the spirit in community. So what's scripture's vision? And that's why we have been in the book of Acts. We wanna live into this vision, this prophetic identity spoken over us of God's design for Christ's church through the power of the spirit. So that's why we're here. We've been going through a bunch of these marks and we're on the last week of them now, talking about what the worship even was beyond the singing, what it looked like for this community to meet all of their needs ravishly, beautifully, generously through their own resources that God had given them. Faithful service to one another and for the community. A radical inclusion last week, Scott McKnight talked about this. this. This love and forgiveness of Jesus is for everybody. And so that brings us this week to the topic of persistent witness of the early church. So we met Stephen a couple of weeks ago from the passage that Lucas just read. A couple of weeks ago, he was one of those who was called to diakonos, to serve, uh, where we get the word deacon, when the church realized they needed help with some very um, real tasks at hand. And we talked about him during our week on faithful service. But here, right after that passage of him becoming one of the the first diakonos, full of the Spirit, we read a little more about Stephen in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit 
with which Stephen spoke. I pause here just for a minute because this is a powerful reminder, right? It's the spirit at work, way more powerful, bringing the power, not the, not the messenger. See, he worked, the spirit was working in this case through Stephen. So they persuaded some of the men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. So this goes on, and in chapter 7, the council basically asks, hey, are these accusations true? And Stephen's answer to that question, he did one of those little bait-and-switch moves. Are these accusations true? Stephen responds by basically preaching the entire message of God's story. He has the entire Bible arc right there and says, here's my answer. It's my testimony outlining the whole story of God and how Christ was the fulfillment of what God has promised since all time back in our holy scriptures. Christ was a fulfillment of all of it and you missed it. You're missing it still now. And the council is infuriated and they stone him and they kill him in the passage Lucas just read. So the death of Stephen, we use this because it becomes sort of this launching place for this incredible, sweeping uh, persecution that happened throughout the church, starting in this moment. There's so much antagonism against these Jesus followers, and we see this is a really amazing moment if you look at it, because uh, as Justo Gonzalez points out, there's no trial or verdict. This isn't a death penalty. This is a mob lynching. You can feel the anger. He responded with a sermon and they dragged him out and just killed him but without any trial whatsoever. And so we see this escalation and we read that a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the city in Jerusalem and all the believers except the apostles were scattered. And all of those scattered believers preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went, Acts 8, verse 4. So clearly we saw early on that these marks of the community, Acts 2, 27, we read that they were living these radical different ways and people were added to their fellowship every day. People were being added because they saw how they were living. Well, now this way of living and this preached testimony is now scattered away from Jerusalem and all over the place. The growth that was being experienced, this radical new community of Jesus followers, of course it was going to meet opposition. Remember to the Jews, this message felt blasphemous because they knew they were expecting a Messiah, but they didn't expect him to look like Jesus of Nazareth. And so it felt like blasphemy to the Jews. To the Romans, they were really going against social order because the Romans called Caesar Lord and the Son of Man. These people were saying, we only worship God. Jesus is God. What is going on? One God, their economic system depended on polytheism and donations at temples and all of this stuff. So Everybody was thinking these guys are troublemakers, these Christ followers, these little Christs, Christians. God's plan was not being accepted by everyone. Jesus had said in the beginning of the book of Acts, he, when he, after he ascended, he was crucified, 
and then he resurrected. And before he ascended, he was with the followers for something like 40 days, teaching them, being with them. And during that time, he said in Acts 1, chapter, uh, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, by the way, that in and of itself was a hint of the radical inclusion to come. And in the ends of the earth, everywhere. This message is everywhere. But your witness matters because you've seen it, you've experienced it, and that's how people are going to come to know this good news. Well, previously, before his crucifixion, Jesus had also warned them that there would be persecution because not everybody was going to be excited about this thing they were saying. They clearly witnessed that in the ministry of Jesus. But he also warned them, for example, in John 15, 10, since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. You've been warned. But it's still, they couldn't be quiet about Jesus because they'd seen it. So early in the book of Acts, we see Peter and the apostles were being told, stop talking about him. You're causing trouble. Zip it. And they literally respond. They go on to just preach the gospel in response to that. And they say to them, we are witnesses of the things. And so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. We can't not preach about this. Testify. I I paraphrased that last part. We can't not testify about Jesus. We can't not tell the story of God, the healing and forgiveness and the grace. They'd experienced it, and they'd seen the power of the Holy Spirit, and they'd seen that work through Christ and now through one another as they participated in the story of God. It was meant for everybody, and that was radical, and they had to talk about it. It was such good news. It is still such good news. So throughout the book of Acts, we go on and we see all kinds of persecution. I listed them out uh, just as examples, but they were commanded to be silent under uh, penalty of of imprisonment or uh, arrest. They were beaten. There was legal prosecution against them. They were imprisoned. They were were bound and chained, and they they were stoned, and some were executed. There was all of this. When you look at this list together, you can feel the physical weight of the danger that would have been a constant threat to believers. But they don't seem surprised. They knew it was the path of their Lord Jesus. They had witnessed him on that very path. They had never been preached a prosperity gospel. They had never thought that this path was going to be easy once they saw this different path of the the suffering of their Lord Jesus. They knew that this message was powerful, but it was not disconnected from suffering. John 16, 33, Jesus told his followers, I've told you all this so you may have peace in me. Here on the earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And once they saw a resurrected Jesus, then an ascended Jesus, that overcoming of the world became so evident. And they had to share that good news. They were living a kingdom mindset. Yes, it's hard. Yes, we have trials now, but we know there's more to come. We know that this more is happening. And so we are faithful in the waiting, even when it's messy. And we read this, the the followers of Jesus even seemed to find joy in persecution or in suffering because it was for Christ that they were suffering. And they felt it united them to their Savior. God's Son suffered for us. We'll suffer for his name. Now, I have to pause here a minute and 
just tell you guys, the thought of coming up here and talking about suffering in church feels a little bit like a potential field landmine. What do you call that? There's so many ways I can misstep right now. There are so many ways that the church and suffering have not done a good job together. And so I just pray, Jesus, that you would cover us in grace and clarity from you as we talk about this tricky subject for a minute. Help my words and just wash them over with your spirit to make sure that what is being said is true and right. Here's why I get worried about this. We're talking about suffering for one's faith, not suffering at the hand of evil, of any of the darkness that entered into this world, the death, the decay, the evil. None of that is the suffering in the conversation we're having right now, okay? It's really, really different, and this matters. If somebody in your life is suffering from cancer, from the results of racial trauma, from the hands of an abuser, that's not the suffering we're talking about. That is evil. It is a completely different category, and it's really important. We're talking here about suffering for one's faith, staying true to Jesus even when it's hard and when you're despised for it. Do not bring in the other suffering into this moment. That suffering matters. Here's landmine number two in my mind. The church has messed up on that differentiation, and well-intended individuals have said things that just aren't true about what the suffering that you are going through and even telling people that they should endure the evil suffering that has nothing to do with faith in Jesus. I've heard awful stories, you guys. I sat preparing this message and I must have wept four different times this week as stories of people being told to endure evil because they were Christian. And you know what that is? That's church trauma on top of the trauma that those individuals are already going through, and that's not okay. And as a representative of the church and as somebody who stands before you as a humble leader, I just want to acknowledge, like, that was wrong if that happened to you. And we as a church want to repent of those wrongs. I am sorry that happened to you. I want us to be a place where we can have safety and healing. Those stories matter, and I am... Um, just full of love and compassion and believe there is healings from those, but I want to differentiate because that is a different kind of suffering. And that's not what we're talking about in this moment in the church. And so we as a church want to be a place to repent of such abuse and wrongdoing and turn from it. And we have to first acknowledge when it's happened. So there's that little moment. Okay, the next landmine is just to be clear, we are not talking about seeking out ways to suffer there's not glorification of suffering. Do you guys ever see that Da Vinci Code? Do you know what I'm talking about? Now, the guy who was self-harming. No self-harm. We do not seek out the suffering. The suffering is glorified if we're doing that. You are made in the image of God. And if that is a temptation in any way for you, please reach out and get help. We love you. That's not the suffering we're talking about. This is suffering to say, I will stand in my faith because Jesus is Lord. It brings glory to his name. And really, the suffering of the early church, the persecution they endured in Jesus' name, we see there was spiritual power in it because people looked at them and said, what is this that they're willing to take on for this Jesus person? So back to the suffering in the early church. Now, hopefully that was clarifying. Please, God, wash over anything that was just said wrong. So they persisted to witness about Christ in spite of it. And in interesting ways, they felt united to one another 
and united to Christ in that kind of suffering. So these actions of torture and incarceration became a reality, but they demonstrated in their posture that the gift that they received of freedom, of forgiveness, the, the gift was greater than any chain or any imprisonment. They had something greater. They found something stronger than the chains that bound them when they were put in prison. And they started to even see the uh, persecution that they were receiving in Jesus' name as a badge of honor. We see Saul, we'll talk about him more later, Saul, who did the persecuting, encounters Jesus in a radical way. And he becomes renamed Paul. And he goes on to to just be amazing uh, leader and uh, humble person. Sometimes you could debate that. Anyway, later on throughout the New Testament, we won't get into that now. But anyway, he starts calling himself a prisoner in chains as a badge of honor. And if you know the Saul that we read about and that he tells us about, like that is not shame honor culture. Being a prisoner is not a thing of honor. But it becomes that for Paul. He writes later to the, in 2 Corinthians 6, 3, he starts saying, we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us, and no one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. Then he starts to list them. We've been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless night, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. That's what's giving them. This is an interesting link he makes, right? Between God's power and their suffering. Because it's God's own power that's helping them to endure because they just have to continue to witness. He goes on and says, we own nothing, yet we have everything. What's the everything that they could possibly have to justify the kind of suffering and persecution he talks about? It's the forgiveness they found through God. For some, that's forgiveness in light of a mammoth sin that had no other way to get reconciled, sure. But for other people, it just means like, I just got made right with God. Because of Jesus, that's a really big deal. And they just keep persistently witnessing about it. God's story. Remember what he always was pursuing us? Remember that? It happened. It happened, and I'm experienced it. Remember, in the life when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, bodies were healed, spirits were healed, people were made right with God. It's still happening in the early church. They couldn't not talk about it. In the Gospels, Jesus would proclaim, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. And what we read in Acts is that the followers of Jesus would say, forgiveness is yours. This kingdom stuff It's here, it's a reality if you believe what Jesus has done. So we see Peter and Stephen in this story. Later, Saul becoming Paul. They meet the risen Lord. It changes everything. And they can't not tell the story. And the good news spreads. The good news spreads all the way to Chicago, Illinois in 2021. This is all because of living witnesses, generation after generation, staying faithful. A changed life cannot stay quiet. And that's not just in words. Words matter, absolutely. But it was also in their lived witness. That's why we're talking about all these marks of the church. So beyond the testimony of their storytelling about the risen Christ, we see their lives were living testimony to the divine presence of God in and through them because of the Holy Spirit. 
they live in these counterintuitive ways. And the story just keeps getting repeated throughout Acts. Despite that they were persecuted and even killed, like their master, Jesus, it didn't lead to the quenching of this Jesus movement. It actually led to its successful expansion, maybe even explosion. Something powerful is happening in the spiritual realm through their testimony. No human persecution could stop that powerful of a fulfillment of God's plans. So we see this, yes, in the church history, this new fledgling movement of Christ followers. But sometimes that can feel really interesting, but really not applicable to us here. We are in a time when we talk about freedom of speech, freedom of religion. 65% of Americans self-identify as Christian, whatever that means. That would be the box that they would check to them. So we live in a place where we're not the little fledgling minority, but here's what's been on my heart all week. The truth is that sadly, I think that sometimes the church can be the one damaging her own witness. Within ourselves, we damage our own witness in very real, very heartbreaking stories of abuse, like the ones I mentioned earlier that just are running through my mind and heart all week. When we see vocal, either out loud or really loud on Twitter, very vocal, very harsh arguments between denominations or even within denominations towards each other. We see putting Jesus's name in the political realm meaning that Jesus would be for one country more than another or one candidate more than another. All of these ways that Christianity and the world are getting confused, and that's what Nietzsche Gupta was talking about. When the world looks in, they see division and hurt and all of this, but look at God's design for church. I have a friend recently who told me, I, I feel like I need... Um, a different word. I can't call myself the same thing as the people that I'm reading in the news and the way that they've gone through this pandemic. Whatever that meant to her, she needed a different word because it didn't feel like it fit. I have another friend who was like, I have to call myself something different than what I grew up because I was preached legalism and I grew up with such shame. I can't even hear this message of love without, I have to call it something else. And so I know that sometimes we're, we're messing up our own witness, if I'm honest. We, we, we do. It happens sometimes. The fact is it can be hard to keep the message of Jesus and the story of God at the center of our witness. My prayer is that we would be a place, a people, we collectively, the church would grow back to a place where Jesus and the story of God is at the center instead of uh, the other things. I was thinking about it this week and I was like, of course the enemy would use these things to destroy the witness of the church. I think the enemy will flare up in fighting, political agendas, celebrity culture, and other human vices. Let me fan that stuff to flame because it's going to disintegrate the, the witness of what God intends through the church. But it doesn't need to be that way because this is God's plan for his presence here and now. Beverly Gaventa says this really well. Acts might remind the church, especially in times of malaise or crisis, that it does not belong to itself, but to the God of Israel, the God who raised Jesus from the dead, and the God whose witness continues within, outside, outside, and even in spite of the church. Am I being down on church? No, you guys. It's so important 
The way of church is the way of Jesus, this life together, ecclesia, right? And it matters because it's God's plan to show the world his love in persistent witness. Beth Felker Jones, I summarize this whole portion that she says in her book about why church matters. Ecclesiology is the fancy name, whatever. It just means what's God's design for this thing we call church? Do not give up on the living witness of the holy, broken church. Because without it, how can we testify to God's grace? We all need grace. We're all going to screw up. And yes, sometimes people do it in really big ways in the news, in ways that we would really wish they wouldn't do. It's true. But we can persist in a witness with Jesus at our center and the story of God working powerfully in our lived witness. No human persecution can stop the powerful fulfillment of God's plan. And that includes Christ's presence in and through his followers because of the Holy Spirit. We don't walk away from this holy mystery. We don't walk away. Even when it gets messy in the media, we press forward with persistent witness. Even when we hear, especially when we hear a really horrifying story of somebody being hurt by the church, we can be part of bringing back a different story and, and bringing healing and confessing then and, and stating out loud, lamenting, meaning saying that's not okay. Let me speak that boldly. When that happened, that was not okay. So we don't ignore the news at all. We're just willing to say, yeah, but that's not the way of Jesus. Let me talk about the way of Jesus. Let me live the way of Jesus so you can see a different narrative, the story of God. So what does persistent witness look like now? Because it probably won't mean imprisonment or chains. It probably won't mean an arrest. It probably looks more like, yeah, Oh, gosh, people do mess things up. But that's why the forgiveness of Jesus is so important. Here's what happened to me when I was forgiven and made right with God. Here's my story of when Jesus met me in a prayer. Your story matters. It's a story of God's continued story in and through your life. That's what matters. What about when there's a big debate in the news or somebody comes up to you with one of those theological bombs and wants you to get baited into trying to answer the, the theology of this and that or like why is there evil or something. Those are good debates. I'm not saying don't talk about that stuff. Absolutely do. Engage with doubt. God knows about doubt. It's okay. All that's just fine. But a persistent witness even in those categories can say that is a hard big question. I actually don't know all the answers, but here's the mystery of what happened in my heart when I prayed, and, and this happened. It's story. It's telling God's story. It's telling our story, our witness of what we saw to the next generation and to one another. And this gets very real spiritual opposition. I felt it this morning. I woke up so discouraged and with all of this clutter in my head about the negative stories, right? And I started to feel discouraged. I started to feel like, man, what I, I, all of them. And I was starting to feel like, what did I do wrong there? What could I have done better there? Why could I, I, get, I tend to take ownership of anything. And so I was just starting to think of all of those things and getting so down on myself. And I suddenly remembered that song was going through my head, like there's power in the name of Jesus. Now, let me get this really clear. Like, it's not a magic mantra. It's not like, but there is power in Jesus Christ and speaking his name out loud to others, be it from a stage or just in your own life. 
in your quiet time, in your home, with your roommate, whatever it is, there's, there's power in participating in the powerful life of Jesus. And that's what the church does. And so when I was sitting there under just feeling that oppression this morning, I thought, of course, we're about to go to be together and to sing songs of praise about who God is. I'm about to speak about persistent witness. Of course, this is going to just come and uh, the enemy's just going to try to get in there and dig a little bit. My scattered mind just needed to start proclaiming who Jesus was to myself. I did that. I just started speaking truth about God, praising the name of Jesus because that opposition can be fought against through the spirit of God who is with us. And we can do that with one another. No one is alone. We get to bring others to know this living witness. 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God, that kingdom that Jesus was proclaiming, the kingdom of God is near, that kingdom that we're still living in while it's here but yet not fulfilled. This kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. That means living in Christ. Christ in you, persistent witness to his goodness and grace and your story of where Jesus has met you. Don't grow weary, church. Our lived testimony matters as God's plans continue to unfold. Jesus, I thank you that you have a name, you have a, a life, a being, a, a fullness that is so worthy of praise and persistent witness. Witness to your goodness, to how God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before the beginning of all time has been in pursuing of a relationship that we can be our messy, broken selves and you love us enough to suffer for us. And that, that your suffering, when we suffer, when we hear the, the ache and, and we persist through it, like we, we are joined to your heart for what humanity can, can look like in kingdom renewal. Help us to be agents towards that renewal, the justice, the mercy, the forgiveness, the grace, the unity that is so hard to live out in real life. When real lives rub up against each other, we cause friction. Lord, give us grace. Help us to engage in those rough spaces well. For anyone here today, Jesus, who has not yet known your name, I pray that you would give us... Um, an opportunity to just reflect your love well. And maybe that's actually you today. Maybe you're not sure about church or Jesus. I just encourage you to consider that you might just be here to hear the really good news that Jesus has made us all right with God. And yeah, we're messy and that's okay. And you can be messy with us. We would love for you to just be messy and real with us. We are all covered in the love and grace of Jesus. It's in his name that we continue to pray and praise and sing. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.